Okay, so Romans 12, verse 1. We'll be reading until chapter, uh, verse 13. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be a, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his perfect, good, and, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now we're going to jump to chapter 14, starting at verse 1, and we'll read through to chapter 15, verse 16, verse 6. Romans 14, verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another, Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So, Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced 
being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who does, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement that they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd be great to have your Bibles open as we work our way through this passage. Uh, well, to start with, um, just a quick show of hands. Who knows who uh, this man is on screen? Uh, I count two. Th- I reckon there's, there's six, six in total out of everyone here. Uh, this uh, gentleman is the guy called Keith Green. He is the father of Christian pop music. Uh, before you guys had your Lecrae with his rap music... <laughs> We had the gentle acoustic stylings of Keith Green. Now, uh, you need to know about Keith Green uh, because I want to tell you about an old friend of mine uh, named Wes. Uh, Before he became a Christian, he uh, was a surfer and really just like fully into that surfy culture. He lived in this dodgy old beach shack with a bunch of mates and basically their life was work as little as possible, just enough to put food on the table so they could go out surfing and kind of surfing all day, party all night, that was them. And then he became a Christian. And within a short space of time, the other guys who he lived in this house with, they became Christians as well. And they realised that if God had shown them such great mercy, then their lives had to change as a result. And so they chucked it all out. All the booze, all their surf mags with the bikini girls, all that kind of stuff. Everything that was influencing them in a worldly direction, they threw it out. And this is back in the uh, days of CDs. And so they threw out their entire CD collection, all except for one CD by Keith Green. 
And uh, I like to imagine in my head that that's them. In this beach shack, there's, there's nothing. There's a stack of Bibles and a Keith Green CD <laughs> just on loop seven days a week. Now, uh, you don't need to abandon society if you want to become a Christian, but Wes's story has stuck with me as a great example of the, the radical transformation that happens when, when God calls us to this new life once we've experienced his wonderful mercy. And that's the logic uh, here as we get to chapter 12 of Romans, uh, the logic of verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, having seen everything we've seen in Romans 1 to 11, in light of all this, what comes next? Uh, That's what we're going to look at tonight. Uh, We're kind of going to cover chapters 12 uh, to 15 And we're going to aim to see two general principles and then dig into one specific issue. Two general principles, one specific issue. So firstly, two general principles. Uh, Principle number one, worship means everything. Worship means everything. In the ancient world, when you received a blessing, uh, the next thing you did was you went to the temple and you made a sacrifice. You gave a thanksgiving offering Uh, in response to a good harvest or having a healthy baby or something. And so Paul says like that, he says, in view of God's mercy, this, in view of this blessing that we've received, we ought to make a sacrifice in response. But look at what the sacrifice should be there. Verse 1, we'll read it again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. So your bodies here doesn't mean kind of your physical self, it means all of you, everything. The Christian is now a living sacrifice, all of our life given up to God. And verse 1 goes on, uh, this is your true and proper worship. Literally it says this is your reasonable worship, this is the kind of worship that makes sense. If God has given us everything, then the only kind of worship that makes sense is not something, like a little part, but everything. It doesn't actually make sense. If if we've understood everything that God has done, it doesn't make sense just for worship to be on Sundays. It doesn't actually make sense for worship to just be that kind of moment in the power ballad after the sermon. Like, that's not worship. Worship is everything. Uh, Just like uh, Wes and his mates... They kind of got it, right? That everything had to change. Instead of worshipping God by offering an animal at the the temple, we take ourselves to the altar and we place our whole lives there. That's what Paul's saying. That's the first principle. Worship means everything. But what does this worship look like? What's involved in being a living sacrifice? And so we need to dig in a bit further. Our second principle, being a living sacrifice means not conforming but transforming. Not conforming but transforming. Uh, Let's read verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, if we're going to be living sacrifices, laying ourselves out on the altar to God then we need to pursue God's pattern 
for life, not the world's pattern. And that's why I think Wes and his mates were really onto something, right? Because they didn't want to conform to the, the pattern of the world, just kind of follow surf culture anymore. They thought critically about the things that were influencing them, and so they, they chucked a bunch of stuff out. And notice too that transformation happens by the renewing of your mind. It actually has to do with how we think. Uh, David Seckham is one of St Matthew's uh, former ministers and he's written a commentary on the book of Romans. This is it. I highly recommend. Excellent book. Uh, this is what he says here. He says, Transformation begins, therefore, with the renewal of our minds. Instead of feeding our minds on the conditioning messages of the world, we reprogram ourselves with the word of God. We must relearn life as disciples at the feet of Jesus. We have to unlearn the things that we've learnt. We have to learn to live like Jesus. See, we don't realise it, but the world is shaping us all the time. We're always receiving messages from the world. It's conforming us to a pattern of life. Your phone is doing it to you every day. Uh, As you scroll through Instagram, you know, the pictures uh, you see are shaping you. They're shaping your expectations. They're shaping your hopes for the future, your desires, the things that you love. It's teaching you. And it's not just Instagram, right? I reckon... I think every person in this room has at least one app that even as I say it now, you know, is teaching you to conform to the pattern of this world. Whether it's a betting app or a shopping app or a social media app or a streaming app, I guarantee that's the case. And Romans 12 would say, Take that and drag it into the trash. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Meditate on God's word and have that shape how you think. Worship means everything. And that means not conforming, but transforming. Okay, Uh, so far we've dealt with verses 1 and 2. Only 3.9 chapters left to go. No, uh, we've been flying through Romans, right, at this, at this crazy pace, and it has been like drinking from a fire hose. Um, but actually, I think this is the point where it hurts the most, right? The point of applying the gospel, um, having our minds transformed. That's slow work. That's, you know, just thinking about all the implications. That takes time. That takes long conversations with each other. This is the section we need to slow down the most, And so these chapters, chapters 12 and 13, will go on to talk about how we serve at church, dealing with persecution and how we respond to people who are against us, how we relate to our government. It'll tell us about sexual purity, about our thought lives, about our drinking culture, how we love others. And all of that is part of how we worship, how we offer ourselves as living sacrifices in response to God's mercy. In the first century, uh, one of the ways that people teased Christians was they called them atheists, right? Because Christians 
didn't worship at the temple anymore. They, they kind of rejected all the gods. And so they didn't look religious anymore. They didn't go to the temple, didn't make the animal sacrifices. And so they looked like practicing atheists. Because they were still worshipping, but their worship looked different. It was showing hospitality, not retaliating living decent lives, loving their neighbour. That looked totally unreligious. They're like, oh, you guys are atheists. But no, this is what Christian worship of the true and living God looks like. There in chapters 12 and 13. But we're not going to dig into all of those issues tonight. Uh, We want to look at one specific issue. So what have we seen so far? Two general principles. Worship means everything, and that means not conforming, but transforming. But next, we want to dig into one specific issue. And when you want to learn about living the Christian life, you obviously have to talk about food. Uh, It's there in that section uh, that we read out in chapter 14. Have a look there. Flick across to chapter 14, verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Okay, so we've got a meat lovers, vegetarian crisis going on here. What, What is happening in this section? Well, one of the amazing things about the church is that it's made up of so many different people, people from uh, different backgrounds. And so there's always some kind of culture clash going on. And that's what we've seen in Romans so far. Uh, The gospel has put Jew and Gentile together on equal footing, both unrighteous before God, uh, both dependent on the gracious gift of Jesus for righteousness, uh, both now living in the realm of the Spirit, both part of God's people by his mercy alone. And so Jew and Gentile, they've been thrown together, uh, but they do come from these wildly different backgrounds and different cultures. And one of the big practical points of difference was food. The Old Testament had all these food laws, what you could and couldn't eat, um, how you prepared your food, the way that you washed stuff so that it was richly clean. Um, Even today, some Orthodox Jews, they have separate utensils, they have separate fridges, Um, just so they can keep these food purity laws. And so when a Jewish person became a Christian, part of that involved them coming to realise that their righteousness wasn't built on food. It was built on Jesus. It wasn't built on food. It wasn't built on keeping the food laws. It was built on what Jesus had done. But even after that, for some of them, It felt wrong to eat certain kinds of food. You know, they trusted Jesus. um, They they knew that Jesus was the one who saved them, but it didn't give them confidence to just feel like they could eat anything at all. They'd spent their whole life avoiding pork and thinking "That that is what is godly. And so their conscience still felt guilty about eating it. That was the case for some. For others, they were fine, right? Their faith was strong. They knew that food doesn't matter anymore. Uh, Jesus is what counts. And so you get verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything. And so they were strong and they were weak. 
and probably a mix of Jew and Gentile in both camps, some confident enough in Christ to eat whatever and some with a tender conscience about it. I was trying to think, you know, like we don't kind of have those same uh, hang-ups about food. So what's like a, a modern equivalent? And I think it's a little bit like smoking. Um, see, smoking isn't sinful. I'm not recommending it tonight. Um, it's not healthy either, but lots of things are unhealthy, right? There's nothing inherently sinful about smoking cigarettes. Jesus himself said, it's not what goes into the body that makes it unclean, but it's the sinful desires that come out of the body. But I'm not sure that I could have a cigarette without feeling guilty. I think I'm so conditioned to think, no, no, that's, that's bad, that I would feel guilty if I smoked a cigarette. But someone else, another Christian whose faith is strong, they know the cigarette doesn't make you sinful, right? It's just a delightful mix of tar and chemicals. <laughs> but, it, you know, it doesn't make you righteous or unrighteous. It totally doesn't. And so some people are fine. They go right ahead, uh, light me up a nice fat cigar. But notice there's issues in both directions. For the weak, the danger is they'll judge the strong. They'll think, oh, how can you be smoking? That's not Christian. And for the strong, the danger is that they'll look down on the weak. They'll look at me and they'll be like, Jeff, what's wrong with you? Just have one cigarette. And see, there's there's dangers that we would, would judge and condemn one another either way. Have a look there in verse 3, back onto the issue of food. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. See, God's mercy in Jesus has saved people from all different backgrounds and brought them together as one people. But there's a danger here that the church will destroy all of that over food, over what they eat or drink, by judging each other, by not accepting each other, just because they eat the wrong stuff. And Paul's point is, no, God has accepted them and they'll need to answer to him. He's their master. And so that's why conscience matters. Food doesn't matter, uh, but did you pick this up? How you feel about the food does matter. Verse 14 there, uh, Paul says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But here's the thing. If anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. See, if your conscience tells you that something is sinful and you still do it, that's the essence of sin. You going against what you think God asks of you, that's sin. Uh, It doesn't actually matter if you're confused and you could have done that thing anyway and God actually is okay with it. If you think you're turning away from God, that's our heart turning away from God. And so Paul says we need to care for each other. Uh, Verse 13, the second half of verse 13, he says, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. See, what you eat might not matter to you, right? But it might matter to another Christian. 
and they might feel pressure to go against their conscience. And that would be a terrible situation to be in, right? Where, where I do something that causes someone else uh, to sin, even if that thing was okay. Because it's, it's a thing that doesn't matter. It's just what you eat. It's food. And so we need to care for each other, make sure we're not putting stumbling blocks in the way of other people who have a weak, tender conscience. So what do we do about a situation like this? Uh, chapter 15 uh, tells us what to do. And this is where we'll finish. Chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, Paul says this, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. See, the strong are in the right here. You know, they've got it right. They've got it straight. Food doesn't matter. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they can do whatever they want. That's not okay. Uh, it says that we who are strong owe a debt to those who are weak. If God has made you strong, if, he, if he's given you faith, uh, to be confident that you can uh, have make your own decision either way about disputable things, about food, about smoking... If God has made you strong like that, he's done it so that you can carry the weak. So you can give up your own freedoms to look after people with a tender conscience. Let's read on, verse 2, chapter 15. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. See his argument? That's the pattern of life that Jesus has set for us. Who is stronger than Christ? No one, right? And yet how does Jesus use his strength to bear the burdens of the weak for their good? If God has made you strong, he's done it so that you can help carry the weak, to build them up, not to please yourself, but for their sake. One person thinks that drums in church is ungodly. Sorry, Ezra, that's uh, right. You know, one person thinks drums, that's ungodly. Right? Can't have that evil rock music in church. But drums are actually fine. But if God has given you a strong faith where you know that drums don't matter one way or the other, then we can live without drums, can't we? Because the strong are to care for the weak. One person thinks that drinking beer is sinful. It's not. You can have a beer. But if God has made your faith strong on this issue, then he's done it so you can accommodate others. And so you might have your wedding reception without alcohol for their sake. You can do that. That'd be easy. Paul thinks that this is an essential attitude for the church. And this is actually where Paul lands his letter. There's still a chapter and a half to go after this point, but he does kind of get into logistics more uh, in the, 
as, he, as the letter finishes. But this is the landing place. Uh, there in verse 5, he says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind, the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we've worked our way through this Romans series, kind of like going super fast, right? One of the things uh, that I've noticed as we've gone over at this high altitude, one of the things that's jumped out at me is how much Romans has to do with the equality between Jew and Gentile under grace. Both together, both unrighteous before God. Both dependent upon the gracious gift of Jesus. Both now living in the realm of the Spirit. Both now part of God's people by his mercy alone. And here we finish on this practical issue of food and what you eat. And it feels like weird and strange and kind of insignificant. But Paul says it's crucial, right? It's crucial for the church in view of God's mercy to everyone. In view of God's mercy to Jew and Gentile, we must not let food become a thing that destroys what God has built. We must not let that happen. And that's true for us as well, Uni Church. We must not let disputable matters be the thing that tears us apart. We must find a way to have the same attitude of mind as Christ Jesus, not to please ourselves but to please our neighbour, to build them up for their good. What have we seen tonight? Uh, Well, we've seen that in response to God's mercy, uh, we respond with worship. And we saw that worship means everything, and it means not conforming, but transforming our lives. And then we zoomed in on one uh, specific issue, uh, food, which wasn't actually about food, but about the strong, loving the weak to preserve the unity that we have under God's mercy. And so to finish, I want to pray, uh, finish by praying uh, the prayer, really, that's there in verses 5 and 6, a prayer uh, that Paul prays for the Roman church. Why don't you join me as we say this, as I uh, lead us in this. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement Give us the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.